The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Find out more about the network and other amazing Alberta-made podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. I'm Dave Cornoyer. And I'm Ryan Hastman. And you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're also joined by producer Adam Rosenhart, and we're recording this episode on June 13th, 2018. This episode, we're going to talk about the Ontario provincial election and the impact of Doug Ford's win uh, on national politics and Alberta. We'll talk about supply management, the cheese mafia, and Andrew Scheer purging Maxime Bernier from the conservative front benches in Ottawa. Ryan will share some more political wisdom in our So You Want to Be a Candidate segment. But before all that, let's delve into some nomination gossip. All right, well, let's get started. So listeners of the podcast will know that the best source for nomination news and updates is Dave's website. Uh, I've talked about it before, but Dave, you just do so much good work keeping everybody up to date. So really, the place that I would send our listeners to is your site. Do you have any highlights, Dave, that you want to talk about? Um, I know even today you were tweeting about a couple NDP incumbents who have had to choose new ridings because... Calgary riding is getting split up and things like that. Yeah, in, in northeast Cal or pardon me, northwest Calgary, um, there's a boundary redistribution and a couple ridings. I think there's actually a new riding that's being created, and that's kind of what threw, threw things into into a skew. Uh, but today, Michael Connolly, who's the NDP MLA for Calgary Hawkwood, announced that he is going to be running for re-election in Calgary Varsity which uh, Calgary Hawkwood now, it's not going to exist when the next election is called. It's being totally drawn out into and, and split up between Calgary Varsity, uh, Calgary Foothills, and a new riding called Calgary Edgemont. Uh, and in Calgary Varsity, the current Calgary Varsity riding, uh, I think a few weeks ago, Stephanie McLean, who's the, uh, the current NDP MLA, announced that she won't be running for re-election. So Connolly announced today that that uh, he's going to be running in the new Calgary Varsity riding, which includes a big chunk of of his current Calgary Hawkwood riding along the Bow River, uh, and then most of the uh, the currently existing uh, Calgary Varsity riding. And it, it's interesting because there's kind of a because of the boundary redistribution in in Northwest Calgary, you have uh, Prasad Panda, who's the UCP MLA for the current Calgary Foothills riding, is now running in the new uh, the new Calgary Edgemont riding. And that, you have Jason Luan, who is the former PCMLA for Calgary Hawkwood, is now running further to the northwest it, uh, uh, for the UCP nomination in the new, newly redrawn Calgary Foothills riding. So there's a, there's a bit of shuffling going on, and MLAs are having to choose which ridings they want to run in. Uh, most of them probably don't want to, have, want, want to have to be in a position where they run against each other. So, so that's kind of why we're seeing a bit of shuffling. But Stephanie McLean stepping down in, uh, or deciding not to run for re-election in Calgary Varsity, I guess, might have made it a little easier for Connolly to choose where he's going to run for re-election. So uh, I'm an Edmonton kid. Some of these Calgary ridings, I'm not totally sure where they are. But isn't Prasad going quite far geographically? Uh, I mean, a little bit. The 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 new Calgary Edgemont riding, it's kind of like plopped right in the middle of the current Calgary Hawkwood and Foothills riding. So the new Calgary Edgemont riding actually takes a big chunk of Prasad Panda's current okay. Calgary Foothills riding. It's not um, the riding that Jonathan Dennis used to have, which no, is, no, no, that's that's Egmont, Egmont, Edgemont. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever which, see that Canadian uh, high school drama show? I think it was called Edgemont. 
and Kristen Kruk was in it. It was like the early two thousand, like the like the lady, the lady from Smallville. Yeah, 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 and a few other actors who you'll recognize in it. It was like a early aughts version of Degrassi, and uh, anyway, it took place in Edgemont, or it was called Edgemont. This wasn't the one on the cruise ship, was it? No, no, it was like a high school in Vancouver. Oh, okay, no, I don't Dude, know. You're thinking of Breaker High. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So are they just trying to confuse us up here in Edmonton? Egmont, Edgemont, like, come on, guys. I I, I think so. Um, well, the, in, in in Edmonton, there's currently so there's Edmonton Strathcona, and then there's Edmonton Sherwood Park Strathcona. But it's, it used to be even more confusing because there was Edmonton Strathcona and then Strathcona. You know, when they told me to run a Strathcona, I think they tricked me into the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> you would have had a better chance out in sort of semi-rural Alberta, Ryan. You might say. And speaking of which, my fellow Edmonton Strathcona alum member, alumni, I guess we're plural. Alumnus, alumni. Yeah, if it's a group, it's, it's, uh, it's alumni. Yeah. Um, Len Tom is running out in Strathcona, Sherwood Park. No, which one is he running in, Dave? He's running in Sherwood Park. Just not, Sherwood Park. Not Sherwood Park, Strathcona. Nate was acclaimed in Sherwood Park, Strathcona. So the Nate Glubish, the, the word acclaimed um, in this case barely applies because Nate worked super hard for two years and for months and months leading up to this. And so he, you know, acclaimed is not really the best way to understand what happened. I, yeah. I think Nate won it quite resoundingly. And it, was, it was a hard fought acclamation. It was a hard fought acclamation. <laughs> it really was. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. I interrupt yeah. The the other uh, the other nomination I want to talk about, and I wrote about it on my blog today, is the the dog fight going on in Airdrie East, the new Airdrie East district, uh, which has uh, UCP MLA Angela Pitt, who represents the current Airdrie district, uh, running against uh, now I guess now former Sportsnet Calgary Flames commentator um, Roger Millions. Uh, yes. Why that noise, uh, Ryan? I just, I don't understand why the party or the people involved in the party or the candidates can't sort this out. I think Miss Pitt has been a strong MLA. Um, she's, you know, really grown into the role. She's done a great job. And although I associate Roger Millions with the Calgary Flames, which makes me sort of hate him, um i can get past that and you know clearly would be a, a talented and effective member of the ucp caucus so you know as a i guess armchair quarterback i just feel so kind of upset that only one of them is going to come out of this and i mean i don't know a lot about the situation on the ground you know up here in edmonton but it seems to me that there is lots of other ridings and i just you know it's just too bad well, I, 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 I do think it's interesting that that in, in terms of, of Mr. Millions. <laughs> uh, what a is, great name, by the way. Great name. Mr. Millions' decision to run in Airdrie East. The the current Airdrie running is being split into two. So there's going to be Airdrie East when the next election is called, and then there's going to be Airdrie Co Cochrane. And, uh, and I sounds think, like a pretty good conservative seat to me. Well, and, and there's about five or six people, five or six people running for the UCP nomination in Airdrie Cochran. Uh, so I think, I think it's interesting considering his high profile 
that Mr. Millions has decided to run against an incumbent rather than run in another district where no incumbent was running. Well, um, I, I do think it's interesting that, I mean, you, we have this, like this past week, I think like 14 or 15 UCP MLAs have, uh, have uh, uh, rushed to support uh, Angela Pitt, endorsed, p- putting public endorsements on Facebook, recording videos and publishing on, online. Um, so like her, her caucus mates, like it's, it's, I think it's quite unusual to see so many ML, like incumbent MLAs from around the province endorse an incumbent in a nomination race. Like, yeah, it's going to be really awkward. I mean, it could be right. really awkward if, if Mr. Millions wins the nomination and all his, you know, caucus mates or, you know, a good chunk of his caucus mates have endorsed the other candidates. Like, I mean, parties do this, do, you know, endorse, endorse, MLAs endorse people all the time and those candidates lose and they have to work with the winners all the time. But this is like a, it's a pretty like solid resounding like caucus endorsement it, it's unusual it it signals to me that they think that uh, angela pitt is in trouble and that she might lose this nomination and i think that's i mean it's it's interesting uh it'll be it'll be interesting to see if she does win the nomination i know tonight they're having a, a meet and greet like a, a kind of a i don't know if it's a debate but uh kind of a forum with the candidates and and i think the nomination meeting is on the 26th of june so it's coming up pretty quick so It'll uh, it'll have been decided by the time we record our next podcast, so we can kind of talk about the uh, the outcome of that and whether uh, whether Mister Millions is the UCP candidate in Airdrie East. Yeah, I agree with your points. Um, the other thing is, you know, a retiring lame duck MLA is one thing, but a and not, I'm not talking about Angela specifically, really any of them. A defeated lame duck MLA is a whole other thing, and. You know, I really don't know how that's going to go because the election is still probably a year away. It could be two years away, could be two months away, but probably we'd bet on a year. So, you know, the UCP caucus, I guess all of the caucuses, but I don't see any of the other parties defeating their incumbents and nominations. Um, I guess, you know, it's going to be something to manage for sure. And I don't know how that's going to go. I think it's going to be a little awkward at best. Well, we'll see. We will see. The. You know, I guess, although I sound a bit like a broken record, the only update that I'm really aware of at the UCP side is just generally speaking, every riding is starting to raise its hand and say, let's go. Um, I don't know many ridings, honestly. I don't know if I know any that don't have at least a couple candidates who are talking about running. Edmonton uh, Strathcona? <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, let's not talk about Edmonton a while. <laughs> no, I mean, there could be some of those types of writings, but even then, um, but certainly everywhere else, you know, whether it's St. Albert or anywhere else, whenever I talk to people and ask them how it's going, how the nomination is coming along, it's like, well, there's a few candidates raring to go. And I think the only governor on this now is just finite resources at the party. They can only manage so many nominations at a time and they can't do them all in one day. So they have to kind of rotate them around. And it's a, it's a finite group of volunteers that go around and help put these on and serve as returning officers. So, you know, by the time we record next, like you said, uh, there'll be a whole other batch that's been done. And by, I would guess October, November, the latest, they're basically going to be done. So stay tuned. I've been receiving a few emails and stuff from potential candidates out there. And if you're running for a UCP nomination, I'm more than happy to let you bounce ideas off me. If you're running for one of the other parties, it depends how nice you are or what sort of, <laughs> what sort of bribery you have to offer. No, just kidding. You know, Adam, Dave, and I, I think we all um, see building up the process and helping people 
develop a passion for the politics that the passion that we have you know share the passion is part of why we do this so if anyone out there is interested in both our advice but also just you know we could connect you to other people who are running or who are involved and i know we genuinely wouldn't mind no matter which party you're running for even the alberta party just kidding natasha that's for you <laughs> no yeah seriously if you if you want to run and you you know you have questions or want to bounce stuff off of us feel free to uh, to send us an email or or a facebook message or a twitter direct message and we'll be happy to chat my dms are open are they open? i actually don't know i think they're open ontarians voted for change last week in their provincial election after i think 15 or 16 years in office the liberals were dramatically swept out of office uh, um, losing almost all their seats the only one the liberals under kathleen Wynne were reduced to seven seats in the ontario legislature the New Democrats under Andrea Horvath, uh, though they seem to be, you know, there, there seemed to be a, an orange wave starting in midpoint in the election, uh, finished second with a, you know, doubling their seat count, but uh, but that wasn't enough to form government. They won 40 seats, forming official opposition. And Doug Ford, the man himself, uh, is the next Premier of Alberta, or pardon me, Premier of Alberta, Premier of Ontario. Uh, Ford, more years. Ford, more, for, for, uh, 76 seats the uh, the Ontario Progressive Conservatives won uh, in a, you know, it seems to be a pretty strong majority. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, on both the, the government and the opposition side, it seems that uh, Ontarians voted for change and, and change is what they got in government and in the opposition benches. Oh, I should also mention the Green Party won a seat. Mike Schreiner, the, uh, or Schreider, Schreiner or Schreider, uh, the leader of the Ontario Green Party was elected in Guelph in a landslide. He got like, I think he, he was like 16,000 votes wow. uh, ahead of the second place candidate. So good on Mike Schreiner. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable. I, I don't understand the Guelph electorate, but I can't say that I would have predicted Greens won a seat. Yeah, it's kind of a. I, I wrote a bit about this on my blog this week about the the. I didn't call it a green wave, but I called it a green ripple because it's not really big enough to be a wave. But the green parties across the across the country, uh, since Elizabeth May won her seat in Parliament uh, in 2011, the the Greens have been picking up seats in provincial legislatures in BC, uh, in New Brunswick, uh, now in Ontario. They. Yeah. PEI, yeah, they have two MLAs in PEI, and the latest polls actually have them tied with the Liberals for like for first place, which I mean, is we, amazing. We could have a Green Party government in in Prince Edward Island of all places. Like, um, I, I was going to respond to you on Twitter, but I, I'm only an honorary Islander because my wife and all of her family's there. Her, my father-in-law is there, and my wife's grandma and everybody else. So we go there all the time. I don't understand their politics, though. I mean, historically, the NDP was nowhere there it was pc liberal you know there was very much a pc liberal thing and most of the time liberal so it's like they skipped the ndp and they went right to the greens and i it's odd this this august when we go there with my family i leanne and i will go on a fact-finding mission and we will try to determine what's behind the green revolution and on the red shores of pei <laughs> i'm surprised you're not calling it the green menace well <laughs> I, 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 as someone pointed out it, it's uh, it is anne of green gables so <laughs> oh man so back to ontario the uh it, it seemed that at least mid some at some point midway or two weeks uh before election um that the the ndp it looked like there was a bit of a surge in the polls and, and people were starting to compare it to the 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 orange wave uh that uh that jack layton had in quebec and the orange wave that rachel notley had in alberta um 
and while the NDP under Andrea Horvath, I mean, really did improve their improve their vote and doubled their seat count, it wasn't enough for uh, uh, wasn't enough to actually win enough seats to form government in Ontario. Yeah, I, I think they managed to wrestle defeat from the jaws of victory. I mean, last recording, I was feeling very sad because it looked like the PCs were about to blow it. The NDP orange crush was about to happen again. And, you know, watching election night, I honestly wonder if someone handed the leader the wrong speech because she came out. Now, I guess, to be fair, what are you supposed to do when you're the leader? You're not going to come out and say, man, did I blow this? But her speech was like over the top celebratory, considering that they had power within their grasp. Um, you know, they were leading and they certainly had momentum. So I think I think that party is going to have to think about what happened. And I, I think part of it comes back to the core appeal of Doug Ford and how he changed the calculus a bit. Because if you look at what actually happened, the PC party, other than the 416, like other than actual inner Toronto, the PCs basically swept the 905. Um, you know, they don't. Explain what, what, what is the 905? Sorry, yeah, lingo, I guess. So the, the 416 is t Toronto, <clears throat> Toronto proper. The 905 is this belt of the greater Toronto area communities that surround the city. And that's where, I don't know how many seats it is, but it's probably half of Ontario. And so it's, you know, Etobicoke and Peterborough and Mississauga and Oshawa and all these places that are the greater Toronto. And when the win majority happened last time, they dominated in the 905. And this time the Ford PCs, you know, basically crushed it. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I should have pulled them up, but they almost swept the region outside of the inner inner core of of Toronto. And you know, even those seats that the Liberals managed to hold on to, a couple of them were just barely held on. Win seat, which is Don Valley West, I think. Yeah, yeah. Don Valley West. She won by less than 200 votes. Uh the former education minister in Scarborough Guildwood won by 81 votes. So they were, you know, they were not far away from total annihilation, which is actually pretty stunning for such a strong majority, you know, caucus going into the election. But I think that what happened was, you know, the core, or sorry, the, the basic premise of the Doug Ford candidacy was two things. It was populism, you know, getting back to the people, for the people, all that kind of stuff. But it was also based on the Ford, I guess, Ford Nation's work over the years in many immigrant and new Canadian and working class communities. So it's something that, I guess, aspirational fancy elite Tories like myself didn't really understand. But Ford has a huge appeal among working class people and among new Canadians. And, you know, I, I'm, I probably scoffed as much as anyone, but it turns out that they, they came out and they really did deliver. So we'll see. Um, I'm a little nervous about sort of some of the potential um, issues that can come from this, in this new premier. But the other point I'll make is it is actually a really solid caucus. There's a lot of talent, a lot of depth. I posted something on social media, which someone else had posted about the millennial caucus so there are one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen millennial mpp elects for the pc party um the majority of them are female 
they are ethnically diverse their backgrounds are diverse like it's a pretty solid group of young mpps fresh blood there's a lot of turnover overall but i'm very encouraged as a as a conservative as a partisan to see the pc party get such an injection of young diverse talent and i think it says a lot for you know the health of this this government in ontario not only over the short term but moving into the next two or three cycles because a lot of these 30-year-olds aren't going to be in this first cabinet, but four years from now, eight years from now, these will be the people who are. So I'm actually very encouraged. I, I admit I had lost faith. <laughs> I had, <laughs> last time we were recording, I was very sad and I thought, surely we've blown this again. But turns out every once in a while, conservatives uh, actually can win. So I'm excited. I, I think one of the one of the points you raised about having uh, more millennials in the caucus is interesting because the the uh, one of the other change elections we saw in recent years was happened here in Alberta with the the NDP caucus we saw I think there are eight eight or nine MLA NDP MLAs under the age of thirty who were elected in twenty fifteen so um, you know as we see more you know big change high turnover elections uh, I think it, I think it is positive. Um, that you know, in some ways, regardless of political ideology or party, that there are uh, more are more young people, and, and there's there's a little bit more uh, well more diversity being injected into our legislatures. I think that's including age, and I think that's healthy, no matter which party. Well, I've been on a little bit of a millennial kick lately um, through my work and just other readings I've done. You know, the thing about the millennials that is now true is they are no longer some sort of niche demographic. They are the center of the bell curve. The millennials are the largest demographic population in the U.S. So I'm using the U.S. to assume for us as well, of all like of history. They there's more millennials than baby boomers. So Gen Xers like me, I think you guys are probably Gen Xers too. You know, we were sort of this like small generational echo within two between two huge bubbles. But the millennials, you know, and I, I'm speaking even just to conservatives. You know, historically, we thought as millennials as shorthand for young people who don't really get involved or who don't vote. And if they do vote, they're not voting conservative. So they haven't been a focus. I mean, just being honest, we've focused on where the votes are. But we have to change because the millennials are now the largest demo. Like they are the one that every industry is targeting, that film and television is seeking. I'm sure ATB Bank is, you know, has a millennial strategy because the millennials are the center of the bell curve now. Oh, yeah, we totally do. And, you know, the millennial generation, a lot have been written about it and how they're a little bit different than Gen X. And these are the things that I think people have to take seriously. And the conservative movement and parties, and starting right here with the UCP, really has to think about this. You know, not all millennials are the same. It's not a monolithic group, but there are some trends. You know, Dave, you, you and I were talking about this a little bit on text. There are some trends that unite everybody, and they are different than the generations before them. Well, I think technically, uh, under some definitions, I am a millennial. Uh, <laughs> I was born in 1983, so I don't feel like I, I feel like an old person at this point. But uh, I think you're the cutoff. You're I think the... I think I'm like at, at like the the broadest, you know, most liberal definition of millennial. I am I am at the uh, at the very beginning of it. But uh, you know, I have I have a lot of cousins who were born in the 1990s, and uh, you know. I didn't get my first cell phone until I was, you know, till I was in, I think I was 20 when I got my first cell phone, whereas they were walking around with smartphones when they were, I don't know, 12 years old. So, you know, there, you're right. There, there are, there are definitely differences. Um, but I do think it's important. It is, it is important. And, and it'll be interesting to see spe specifically here in Alberta, 
how going into the next provincial election, how the political parties will approach, uh, you know, how, how they'll how they'll tailor their campaigns and tailor their messages to to millennials. I mean, I think one you know one of the challenges uh, with you know even even though millennials are the, you know they are a huge cohort and they are able to vote. Uh, I mean, one of the big challenges that we, you know, we, we always face in, in, in elections and in politics is, is older people tend to vote in larger numbers or larger percentages than, than people who are younger. So I saw a uh, Dave Coletto, David Coletto from Abacus uh, was circulating um, a screenshot of some polls from, I think the National Post put it out or Post Media put it out. And it was, they were talking, they were showed the, uh, the voting patterns by age demographic. And it was pretty clear that like 35 or like 40 and under the, the NDP did the NDP in Ontario did very well. Whereas like 40 and up, especially 65 and up the yep. progressive conservatives did very well. So yep. there really was in this election, a, a pretty big, it, it seems to me from the coverage I've seen in Ontario that there, there was a pretty big age split in terms of, of the vote of the vote. One of the things that I want to just want to touch on with the Ontario election that I think it's. I mean, it's something we've seen a, a trend we've been seeing in, the, in over the past decade or so, or even or even even longer in Canadian politics and provincial politics. Is, I mean, when you look at the the map of the Ontario election results, uh, the NDP did really well. They do traditionally do really well in northern Ontario. So there's huge swaths of orange in the north, and then you get south to southern Ontario, and it's like blue with these little orange specks where the cities are. And a lot of those orange specs, like some of those orange specs are like 10 ridings, uh, like in downtown Toronto where the NDP swept, uh, or in, I think in London where there were three seats or, or down in Windsor or, or Hamilton. Uh, and I, but I think it's interesting. It's, it's kind of continuing this trend where the progressive parties, uh, in this case, the NDP do very well in urban centers and the progressive conservatives or the, or the conservative equivalent, whatever, whoever the conservative party is, does really well in the rural areas and it's the suburban areas that are kind of the battleground. And in this election, it, it looked like for, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert in Ontario policy, Ontario politics or re even Ontario geography, but looking at the map, it looks like the PCs won by sweeping the, the suburban areas. And that's, that's really where the, where the, uh, where the contest was. So yeah. I think, I think that's interesting. And, and you do see some, I mean, you really do see in Alberta, uh, in the last election, it was it seemed to be very similar, where where the NDP did very well in the urban areas, and they they picked up rural seats, but it was really cities like Edmonton and Lethbridge where they really racked up big margins. Yeah, and it comes back to the battleground nine hundred five. The nine hundred five is so important that even in federal campaigns, it's where all the leaders spend all their time. The Harris government was built in the nine hundred five, and then the McGuinty government was built in the nine hundred five. So Ontario's got a bit of a different feel because of that because it's a huge suburban it's like one big suburban utopia um in alberta we have two large suburban areas but they vote very differently you know the ndp swept in 2015 literally swept whereas in calgary it was more competitive and i think next time it's probably going to be the other way around i think calgary could be close to a sweep and edmonton will be competitive i mean you never know but it's very interesting. And we've talked about doing a show just talking about demographics and the millennials. And I, I think we should consider doing it. So dear listeners, if you think it's a good idea and if you'd like us to continue with that, um, let us know. I guess my final point though, I forgot to make is that back to millennials, the UCP does need to have some in the next caucus and our two current by-election candidates are both 30. So 
Devin Dreeson in Innisfil Sylvan Lake and Layla Goodridge in Fort McMurray, whatever. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, Fort McMurray Conklin. Yeah, it's changing. So I, I got it wrong. Fort McMurray yeah. Conklin. They're both yeah. thirty year olds. So it's you know it's exciting. We're we're taking the first step, uh, and you know you can't. As a good conservative, I don't uh, want to be setting up quotas or saying that there's a certain amount of millennials must be nominated. But it, I am encouraged, and I personally am trying to get some more diversity in terms of the various demographics, and we need more millennials. Yeah, and now, now that Derek Fildebrandt is is out of the UCP caucus, they need they needed to find a new millennial. A new millennial. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor this week, ATB Financial. Hey, it's Pride Month, my friends, and ATB is all over it. Uh, ATB sponsors Edmonton Pride, Calgary Pride, and new this year is Lethbridge Pride. Full disclosure, I work there. Uh, and so I love talking about them. But guys, uh, did you go to Pride in Edmonton? Did you have a chance to check that out? I, I, I didn't go to Pride. I I, uh, I have a two-year-old son who did not sleep well the night before and then managed to sleep in till about 10.30 that morning. So uh, we uh, decided that the parking would probably be nuts near whatever. So unfortunately, we didn't make it to Pride this year. What about you, Rye? We were camping. We were up at Cross Lake Provincial Park and we had paid for it months in advance and kind of for got but it looked like a great time i mean it's a huge crowd um many many of our friends were posting about it online and looked like quite the party well i've got some really great news for you guys if you're interested uh lethbridge pride is on june 23rd and calgary pride happens uh at the end of august and in calgary we sponsor a really cool activation at atb called the pride brick road uh in front of our stephen avenue branch where we hand out delicious and free cups of fiasco gelato so if you happen to be in calgary at the end of august definitely come check that out uh, atb is also a longtime partner of camp firefly and firefly in schools and if you've seen atb's pride mastercards ad ads chances are they'll make you cry with its acceptance everywhere message so we're huge fans of the community um it's a it's a groundswell of of support for Pride that's come directly out of our staff who are members of the LGBTQ community and we're proud supporters of Pride in Alberta. So, so Adam, what, what happens when someone follows the Pride Brick Road? Uh, you wind up having that fabulous ice cream and Dave, you know what? You could even open a new ATB account at our Stephen Avenue branch. At, at the, at the government-owned bank. That sounds great. <laughs> that's right. Premier Notley's bank, everybody. Well, <laughs> Will, William Aberhart is turning in his grave. And some big news this week out of the Federal Conservative Caucus in Ottawa. Uh, party leader Andrew Scheer has exiled, purged Maxime Bernier uh, from the Conservative front benches in the House of Commons. Bernier, uh, who was Scheer's main competitor in the in last year's uh, Conservative leadership race, I think it was Scheer got 51% and Bernier got 49% on like the 71st ballot of voting. Um, uh, Ryan, did, did you support Maxime Bernier in the leadership? Cause he, I think he did really well in Alberta. I think he might've actually won Alberta. Um, how, how do you, how, what do you think's going on there? He's, uh, everyone's favorite Quebec Albertan or is it Albertan Quebec or I forget which way, but yeah, it's been quite the week. It's a little demoralizing. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I did support Bernier at least for a while. And I'll tell you why I actually did not place him first on my ballot 
that day a year ago and he actually led it um bernier is fundamentally a maverick he's a john mccain type figure so he also has his own version of the straight talk express and there's a lot of virtue to that there's a lot of value often he's right you know he's thought about these issues he's an ideological conservative and i mean that in the best way you know he knows what he believes he knows why he has a vision but he's also a maverick and he's very hard to tame i i actually think he's impossible to tame if you think about his experience in the harper cabinet he started off as one of the most senior ministers in cabinet and then there was a few incidents involving judgment and behavior that just made it untenable and then he kind of worked his way back in as a junior minister and then he came this close to winning the federal party leadership but on that on that final weekend of the conservative party leadership i don't know if you recall but one of his campaign advisors his key organizers gave one of the most bonkers interviews i've ever read we'll try to link to it in the show notes where he you know was just making statements that were so arrogant and crazy and he also sent out this guy an email to you know a huge number of people i think it might have been to the whole party forgive me i should have checked and he didn't just suggest that you better get behind bernier or you're going to be in trouble when he wins he literally wrote it you know he said this is your last chance to support maxime and he's going to know who supported him who didn't and it was just one of these moments where you know i understand the volunteers and staffers can go off the rails but maxime didn't do anything about it he kept the guy and it happened again and i just thought to myself like holy smokes guys we need not only do we need to be talking about ideas which is great and maxime does it and standing up for conservative principles and for talking about conservative ideas all that stuff is great but you need someone with some judgment too because the federal liberal party plays for keeps um i think structurally in the same way that the conservative parties in alberta have a structural advantage i think conservative parties have a structural disadvantage in federal politics so we can win but we don't win by default far from it and this episode with maxime just once again demonstrated everything about him his pros and his cons what makes him great and what makes you just shake your head it's my understanding that there was a agreement with caucus or within caucus that he wouldn't publish this book or he wouldn't talk about these issues and i actually put some blame in both camps here i think sheer or didn't play this hand well because all of a sudden normal run-of-the-mill conservative party supporters and voters who are just living their lives and not following it closely all they know is that sheer keeps talking about supply management and maxime is in trouble for opposing it you know it's one of those things like we i think we tolerate supply management i don't think anyone else really loves it but we sort of don't understand it and we tolerate it but in the last couple of weeks the leader has just been pushing it so hard proactively and so now you've got on one hand sheer keeps pushing supply management which is very unconservative and now bernie is in trouble for saying he doesn't support it that's not what actually happened it was actually about you know going against your caucus but to the average person just following it at a distance it's not good it's not a good look for sheer it's not a good look for bernie you know this is a time when the conservative party is leading in the polls they're out fundraising the other parties put together and once again it looks like they're just finding a way to find the most difficult path so i i am frustrated i am frustrated yeah it, it does seem like a really weird fight for andrew sheer to want to pick uh i mean i you know 
he, there was a there was a an exchange today, I think, in question period in Ottawa, where Andrew Shear was was attacking the Trudeau Liberals for it might have been investing in in the or purchasing the Trans Mountain Pipeline, which this is the first time in this podcast today that we've mentioned the Trans Mountain Pipeline, which is I think it's the the longest that uh, that, that we've taken in any podcast since we've started to mention pipelines. Uh, but uh, but the response was or the, or the commentary at least on on social media was about, about Shear was well you're talking about your support how you support you have you know unbridled support for the free market but you're supporting supply management which is basically this this cartel system for the dairy industry to protect the dairy industry in Canada um, I mean it yeah. is to, it is totally inconsistent and Maxime Bernier's position has been totally consistent on on this issue I mean. Yeah. He campaigned on this in the in the in the, the the conservative leadership race. He's been he's held this position for a long time. I think Andrew Scheer actually was against supply management before he was for it. Um, but so so I mean, in, in, it it just seems like a really weird fight for Scheer to want to pick. I mean, I understand you want to uh, you know you want to pick your alliances and 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 politicians when you're building coalitions, uh, especially with Scheer reaching out and trying to expand conservative support in Quebec, uh, you know, you have to make choices about coalitions that are inconsistent. And I mean, you yeah. see that you saw this, I mean, the, the coalition that, 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 that uh, uh, spectacularly exploded under Brian Mulroney after two terms in government was his coalition with the Quebec nationalists and Western populists. And um, I mean, th- you know, there, there are concessions that, that, that need to be made when you're building coalitions, but this, this one just seems to be, something that's blowing up, totally blowing up in Andrew Shear's face. And, and yeah. I, like, I don't know if it'll actually work. It, it well, kind of makes him look a little foolish to, to be kicking out a conservative, a high profile conservative because they support the free market. Like it's, it just seems yeah. in, totally inconsistent with, with conservative, the conservative party's uh, uh, brand. And, uh, and, and I think you're right. It, people who wouldn't really, know much about or wouldn't really care much about supply management or would kind of their eyes would just glaze over when they hear it are now going to be trying kind of getting a little pissed off about it because it because she is making it a political issue in in kind of the worst way yeah and and bernier to i mean to his credit he's been consistent on this and he has the most to lose he has the most quota holder dairy farms in any riding so you know he's like doubly credible on this now i will point out and i hate to be cynical about my own party because we're the party of angels, but there is a by-election. <laughs> there is a by-election underway currently in Quebec, and some of the polls I've seen actually show the Conservative Party with a lead. So they do the cliche that all politics is local is a cliche for a reason. Um, I'm not suggesting that that's the only reason, but it could be part of it. You know, they could be just trying to to win these Quebec seats. But yeah, it's not good. It's a bit of a mess. And if you look at social media, I really just don't see the net benefit of this. And, um, you know, for 10,000 dairy farmers to put potentially NAFTA at, at risk, that would hurt 35 million can- Canadians. Just, it just doesn't make sense to me. I was just, just going to say that I think, I think what's interesting is, is how even though you know Shear is he's a national national party leader but he's from Saskatchewan and Bernier is an MP from Quebec I've been hearing a lot about this 
from pissed off Alberta conservatives who would have supported Bernier or if they didn't vote for him in the leadership race, supported his ideas. So, so even though this is something that's regionally removed, it's, it's not really regionally removed. Well, yeah. Something that's an issue for conservatives in Alberta. They've made it annoying. Like we've, we've kind of known about it for a while, but like it's best left undisturbed. And now Sheer keeps talking about it and Bernie's in trouble over it. And it's just like, why are we poking the bear? You know, I have to, I have to admit on the, on the issue of supply management, I, uh, I actually had to look up this week and actually like read about it because I would, anytime I saw the word supply management mentioned in like an Andrew Coyne column or a Paul Wells column, I would actually just stop reading it because it, it just felt like such a boring topic. Free the cheese, Dave, free the cheese. It's, it, it's really, I mean, I, you know, it, 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 reading about it this week, this, this past couple of weeks, um, I, uh, you know, I mean, it, it it's, it, it seems, seems like something that, that, that seems weird. And I don't know, you know, I mean, it seems like something that's protecting a small minority, a, a privileged few. Yeah. I mean, it's not something that I'm waking up with cold sweats, at, cold sweats in the middle of the night about, but, uh, but right. you know, it, well, there, there's this principle in politics that benefits are often concentrated and costs are often diffused. So every Canadian is paying, call it 25 cents for their eggs more. You know, it's not a big deal. But for those quota holders, it's a huge deal. We've This quota system has become such a valuable asset because of interference from the government. And so, you know, to Maxime's credit, even back to his consistency on this, even he isn't calling for the system to be ended cold turkey, sort of like the Notley government and the town of Grand Cash. He is actually calling for <laughs> it to be transitioned out gradually and carefully and give it a decade or two like you know the government created this issue they've they've built this asset or i guess another analogy would be like the taxi license issue here in edmonton that the, this you have to feel bad for these drivers who basically put up a mortgage to buy a license and so if we're going to bring in uber and lyft you have to transition it you know there's a balance yeah even maxime wasn't saying cold turkey but the moment that supply management becomes something that risks nafta you know, I start to wonder. However, I will say, it's just an excuse. Trump wants to kill NAFTA regardless. If it wasn't supply management, it'd be something else. And every government has their little protectionist rackets. Ours, for some reason, is about dairy, poultry, meat, and eggs. And I have never seen a more powerful lobby than this <laughs> dairy cartel. Like, these guys must be truly scary because the power that they have is impressive. But, you know, this is why market manipulation from governments is so hard to get rid of because the benefits are concentrated. Those who care, care maximum. The rest of us are like, okay, so eggs are 25 cents more. Like, you know, whatever. It's not a big deal. So I don't know how we get out of this mess because now Sheer can't do anything but stand up for it. And Bernie is not going to drop it. <laughs> You've created a cheese martyr. Um, and Bernie is a maverick in his core. Like, I'm not saying he's disloyal, but he has no problem going around being the champion of freedom and liberty and free the cheese. And, you know, I don't see the upside for the CPC and how this has been managed. I think the better thing to do would have been to just let Maxime be Maxime, to realize that the base probably is mostly with him on this and to just say, you know, this is, this is the direction we're going, but some members of caucus don't agree. And, We'll vote it out when we're in government. But 
they've raised the stakes so unnecessarily and made it such a silly spat that there's really no dignified way out. Well, I, I think I'm gonna. I think I probably agree with Justin Trudeau on this issue. Uh, that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad supply management is an issue so long as it's, uh, it's making the conservatives uncomfortable and twisting in the wind. So, and now Ryan has his regular segment. Uh, so you want to be a candidate today, focusing on GOTV or as us seasoned campaigners call it, GOTFV. Ryan, get out the freaking vote it's it's really what campaigns are about i guess i've probably said that's what campaigns are about a few times but turning out your vote on election day is probably the most mission critical thing uh yeah so we've talked about sort of the broad strokes of a candidate's three jobs and that basically what the nomination level what a campaign is is persuasion idea of your vote and now actually turning out that vote so today i'm going to try to be a little bit more practical and just talk about how I would structure a GOTV effort, a get out the vote effort for a nomination. So the important first thing I'll say is that the entire campaign, nomination campaign, is about getting out the vote. So that means, you know, from day one, every interaction you have with the donor, you need to reinforce getting out the vote, which usually means the date. People don't pay attention to a lot of stuff but if you can reinforce that the vote is happening on i'll just use july 15th it's happening july 15th you know start reinforcing that with every communication you have with with your supporters because you really want them to not forget july 15th they probably have to make decisions about logistics that day if it's on a weekend they have to decide if they're going to the lake so you really want to just hammer away july 15th july 15th when i left a door a note on a door saying sorry i missed you Look forward to your vote on July 15th. You know, like seriously put it everywhere because for you, it's the 8,000th time that you're saying it. For them, it's probably the first or second time they're hearing it. And maybe they're not even paying attention yet. So in terms of organizing a GOTV campaign, I'm going to just focus on who, the how, and the when. So starting with when, constant reminders. The moment that you know the date. So for a lot of you out there, you don't know the date yet. You just know it's coming. But once you do, once the party notifies you that it's on and it's open, they will tell you what day the election is happening on. Sometimes it's over a couple days, but usually it's one. So we're going to assume we know the date and it's July 15th. In the middle of the campaign, I would do a save the date card. I would put something physical in people's mailboxes, a postcard or a magnet or something. Something that they clip to their fridge. Now, in the modern day, we don't have phones anymore at home, landlines. It used to be easier because they would put it by the phone. But the same concept, right? I would create a save the date card, use a postcard format, the key information, support Adam Rosenhart on July 15th and at this location. Because you want people would, to remember. I would only be a write-in candidate, Ryan. We, didn't we decide you were running last time? I guess maybe we did. Don't I have any say over this? For the, for, we've nominated you for the Rhino Party. I, oh, I, yeah, that's right. I, I know someone in the Rhino Party, so I'll hook you up with them. Thanks. <laughs> okay, so from the moment it's on, actually, let me correct myself, from now, from six months ago, the whole name of the game is persuasion. You want to be persuading eligible voters to vote for you. Persuade, persuade, persuade. Talk to everybody. Talk to people you don't know yet. Talk to people you do know yet. 
make sure they have a membership because that makes them eligible. Persuade, persuade, persuade. Now, you'll get to a point where there is a cutoff for the memberships. Now, for every party, it's a little bit different. Sometimes it's the day of the nomination meeting, but generally there's a cutoff date halfway through. The advice I'm going to give, and this is going to sound a little bit cynical, is that that date is a turning point. From that day on, you don't care about anyone who isn't an eligible voter, who isn't a voter or a member, usually. You know, you can talk to them later. There'll be a time to worry about the general electorate later, but from membership cutoff date until election day, you are focused like a laser on eligible voters. So you need to continue to stay in touch with your supporters. So throughout the campaign, as you're meeting people, as you're going to their doors and they tell you they're going to support you, great. Put them aside. Mark them on your database, like I've said. Mark them as a supporter. Keep it percolating. You know, touch base with them once in a while. You can have someone do like a campaign update email or something. But don't spend a lot of time on the hard yes. Set them aside. You want to convert people from unknowns into yeses. So if they tell you no, I am the other candidate's brother, you're never going to win my vote, great. Be polite. Mark it as no. And again with them. Never talk to them again, or never spend a resource on them again. Be friendly, you know, whatever, but don't spend a resource on them. So you're ignoring the no's forever. You're setting aside the yeses, and you're persuading the unknowns. That goes until, I would say, about two days out. So E-day minus two days. This is rough. You know, it depends on the dates, if it's a Friday or Sunday or whatever. About two days out, I would do another touch point en masse with your supporter. So it might be an email blast. And it's just, again, reinforcing, hey, everybody, nomination date is in four days, July 15th. It's happening at the St. Albert Inn between noon and 6 p.m. And you're going to need to bring a piece of photo ID or whatever the specifics are for your race. Quick, short message reminding people. People, to the candidate, there is nothing more important in your life to normal people, even party members who are kind of not normal people by definition, they have a lot going on. So don't worry about over-reminding. You're not going to turn one of your voters off by reminding them to vote. And people may you know, get a little bit annoyed with you, but it, it, it's worth pushing on this. But I would send this blast only to hard support. Now, this is me being a little bit cold. You, know, you may want to send it to unknowns, but at this point, you're two days out from election. And this sounds cynical, but you don't want to risk GOTVing people who aren't your supporters. If you remind people who are supporting someone else to get out and vote, that's one more vote for the other guy. Um, so, you know, never be rude. You don't want to tell people not to vote, but you don't need to spend a resource getting them out to vote or reminding them to vote. Now, the night before E-Day, we should have had a poem. <laughs> E-Day minus one. This is when you really get cutthroat. From this day, you know, from E-Day minus one, basically anyone who is an unknown and anyone who's a no, you just set them aside. It's too late. You, you hope that by being a friendly, viable candidate, you're going to get some second ballot support, third ballot support just by default. But if you don't know who they're supporting the day before the election, assume they're not voting for you. Set them aside. You need to clarify your yes list. So clean it up. Make sure the data is good, that everybody has a contact information. And here's what I did. Here's what we've done. We actually went old school, and we built our GOTV list using paper. 
And we did it, the metaphor I use is like a hockey card, although it was larger. Each person, or I would go household, you print out a physical sheet that represents them. So it has all the most important information, contact information, names, if there's more than one at a household, phone numbers, emails. And each household is printed on a physical piece of paper. You're going to use this on election day. Make some room for notes so you can physically take a pen. Print them all out. So the night before election day, you're printing out those things. The other tactic that I would recommend is the day before doing a, it's called the door hanger. So a piece of literature, you know, historically it was physically literally hanging from the doorknob, but it could be something in the door or in the mailbox. But it's just one last reminder. Today, tomorrow's election day. You can do it at the evening, the day before the vote, as you're out door knocking. You can even do it the morning of election day, you know, so that's the best thing to do at 8.30 a.m. You don't want to be calling people that early. I've seen people do overnight, the midnight drop. I'm not going to recommend it because it's a little creepy, but, you know, people wake up in the morning and they have a door, not, a door hanger on the door. That's what I would do the day before. So what do you need on election day? Well, I think you need a war room. It's a room where you're going to gather with your, everyone who's going to help you. Usually it's either done at the venue where the vote is, and that's the best place to do it. So at a hotel, book a room or something. Could be someone's house as well or some other location. The war room needs tables, needs refreshments, a printer, needs water and snacks. And because it's 2018, you probably need a whole bunch of spare phone chargers. And what that is, is you're, you're, you're encouraging every volunteer, every volunteer to come and physically show up and be together for the big effort, with a few exceptions which I'll get into. You want to distribute cords, um, have, you know, have no obstacles for the room. If you can afford to bring in pizza and stuff, it's great because you want people to stay. So the types of jobs are, first of all, phoners. This is probably what you can scale the most on. You can have the most phoners because there's going to be tons and tons and tons of people to phone. And often nobody's ever home, so you're calling over and over again. This is why I have a unique sheet of paper for each donor. So that you don't have to worry about redundant calling. You don't have to worry about who has which list. So you probably need a list manager. And they're going to hand out these hockey cards as people come in. Here's five, here's ten, give them back to me. So you're writing a note on the card. Okay, I phoned Dave and Kyla, I left a voicemail. Or, okay, I phoned Kyla and she's going to come and vote after work. Great. Don't ever believe people until you've physically seen them. So the next vote you need is a scrutineer. Now, the rules for scrutineering is a little different for each party, so I'm not going to get too technical, but what I mean by scrutineering is not so much arguing about eligibility of vote and that the rules are being followed, more it's a, it's a person there to record who has voted. You're watching for your people. You don't know who the other people are, but you know your people. And the reason why you want to watch for them is so that you don't have to keep phoning them. You don't have to wonder if they've turned out or spend a resource on them. So even when you're speaking to people that day, Tell them to let you know or to speak to your team when they've arrived because you're going to keep calling them until you till they're there. So, you know, I'm sorry to bother you. It's really important. It's going to be close. Can you come out and support Adam? And by the way, when you're here, just find one of us and tell us you're here. So those people are running back to the war room with an updated sheet all the time of who's come by and who's voted. Don't believe people. If you have the resources for this, don't believe them. If they tell you I'm coming, that's great. Be polite. But don't actually say they voted on your sheets until they've literally voted. As people have voted, you mark it on the sheet, voted, you put it aside. These hockey cards are now dead. You don't need them anymore. You're narrowing it down. 
to really only the live people who haven't voted yet, who are your supporters. So you're continuously circulating through your team. Yes, I would leave voicemails. And yes, I would phone back. I would keep phoning until people show up because the stakes are high. You know, people will be annoyed for sure. But if you lose by five because you were too shy to phone someone one last time, you know, it'll be awfully disappointing. Hey, Ryan, is there ever a risk that even though you've identified your yeses and your maybes, if you're following up with them until you know they voted, is have you ever in your experience someone said, listen, I know I have to vote. You've annoyed me today. <laughs> And now I'm not going to vote for you. Yes. Yes, people say that. Okay. Just like people say negative ads don't work on them and that they care about the local candidate, you will have people who say that, and you probably will lose a very small fraction of votes. But, but overall, I don't, I don't think it's something to worry about. The reward far outweighs the risk by the sounds of it. Yeah, and you say, you know, as soon as we see you here today, come by, grab a bottle of water, Say hi to the team, and we'd be thrilled to not phone you anymore. But we really need your vote. It's close. The other team is well organized. You know, I, I guess what I'm saying is I would err on the side of just give her because if you lose, it won't matter. And if you win, it won't matter. So I guess that sounds a little cynical. But, you know, don't be obnoxious. Don't be abusive. If they say, okay, I'm coming home from work and I'll vote sometime, ask them when. When will you vote? What's your plan? Because it, research shows that if you've actually made a plan in your head, you're more likely to vote. Well, you know, I'll have to get home, feed the kids. We'll be there between 6 and 7. That's fine. Write that down on the hockey card. And then the next person who gets the hockey card when they come back into circulation will see that note. And if it's past that time, they'll just give them a call again. You know, no, volunteers who aren't political do feel pretty squeamish about this. But on the other hand, they know what's at stake. And in my experience, your friends and family won't feel squeamish about this at all. On my um, unsuccessful nomination, one of the guys I had come in from out of town to help me said it was the most motivated group of phone he's ever seen because these were my friends and family who knew what was at stake. And so on the balance of annoying some stranger <laughs> or letting me down, they erred on the side of annoying a stranger. And don't be obnoxious. You know, I'm being a little bit facetious, but... It's so close. You're down by one vote. So just please come and we'll. Now, if they really truly tell you, like, we're not coming, um, you know, obviously mark that down. Treat them like a no. So, so I have two questions, Ryan. Uh, in a general election campaign, uh, well organized campaigns will, tr will usually have uh, an election day chair, an E day chair, who's somewhat different than the campaign manager who comes in, or who's there on election day and yeah. manages the GOTV. Um, uh, obviously, you know, not all campaigns are going to be big enough, are going to be big enough to have that many, you know, that many staff, but most campaigns I, I expect where some campaigns will have a campaign manager, a, can a candidate's running for a nomination. They'll have a campaign manager. Uh, would you suggest that they bring in someone for, as an E-Day chair? I mean, obviously if it's a, I guess it depends how big the nomination race is. If we're talking like, yeah, there's, it's, there's. 200 members in a riding that's going to be different uh, if in some writings where there's three or four thousand members yeah um, absolutely in, yeah there and i was going to get to some of the other jobs so most jobs most people should be phoners or door knockers some people hate the phone so that's great go drive i, I hate the phone i hate the phone that is like i, I will door knock yeah. i will knock on doors all day but i i just yeah i cannot do, i cannot do the phones it just it's it, 
That's the one job. I, w- I will clean the dishes in the kitchen yeah. before I go on the yeah. phones. Well, because you have about four seconds to convince someone that you're not a fundraiser or a scammer. Um, yeah, the phone is brutal. Now, door knocking on election day is fun, and it is effective for those who are home, but it's highly inefficient because you're skipping, you're just going to particular doors. But if you have a crew of people who will do that, great. In fact, I think the candidate should do that for the first part of the day. During the non-prime time, they should be out. Just go to some doors, take some pictures, you know, whatever. Keep the momentum up. Ryan, so, I do, I do, want, I did want to ask you: How has the way that we use phones impacted this kind of go TV action? Well, it's yeah, it's tough. So one of the tactics I didn't mention, but the technology is there now to do mass texting, and so you can actually receive a text. One person can text out hundreds of people. And it's a customized message. So you could say, this is Dave, and I'm Adam's campaign manager. Today's nomination day. We need you. You know, it looks like the other side is well organized. Can you please come down? And so you get this individualized text. I, I still think because you need to speak to a person that there's a role for actual phoning, but a lot of people won't answer the phone. You're going you're gonna to end up phoning some of these numbers all day long, and no one will ever answer. So you just have to try everything. But I would do texting. Um, the to answer your question, Dave, you do need one key person that day at least. You might even need two. The jobs of what you said, chairing the, the activity, and the other side of that is a contact point for party officials, for the returning officer, for the venue potentially if you're there, and for the other campaigns. So you're you know very trusted, very trusted just the best adjective person should be that role for you as a candidate, you know, cause you, then, you really can't be managing that stuff that day. And that should be someone who's very familiar with the nomination rules and the party bylaws in case there are any, any issues that come up with the party or with, with the yeah. other, from the other candidates. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe, so maybe a lawyer friend. Yeah. Like Steven Delansky would be, ideal. I, I was just going to say Steven Delansky. <laughs> well, and you know, work with who you have the, one of the most important things of course is passion and, you know, that they care about you. And so if you have two people, one would run the GOTV and the other one would do all that stuff, coordinating with the other candidates and with the venue and with the party. But that's a very important role and it really shouldn't be the candidate that day. The candidate that day is going to be a basket case. They're not going to be thinking straight. And really their job is the same as it always is. Voter, forget about volunteers. Well, be nice to volunteers, forget about dollars. So what I did and what I've seen done is the candidate at some point really right maybe all day, but certainly by prime time. So the, the post-supper rush should position themselves at the venue. There's going to be different rules about where they can stand and what they can do. But the point is find a place where basically everyone has to pass by you. If you have a spouse or a partner or a cute dog or kids or whatever, they can be there for part of it too. But they're standing there and they're just saying hi to everybody. They're not saying you're not my voter. I'm not saying hi to you. They're just, you know, smiles and greetings. Just there's nothing better for them to do at that point. And they're going to go crazy if they're in a back room. So send them out. Have someone come and update them every few minutes if that helps. But the candidate should be meeting voters. The other thing, just to finish up, you know, for those of us who are political nerds, this is sort of the the classic what we dream, what we think about. But you really do need to have two speeches prepared, um, and it needs to be prepared because you're not win or lose, I've won and I've lost. Either way, you're not thinking very straight and you're going to forget things. You're going to forget who to thank. A lot of the speech will actually be the same because you're going to thank everybody. You're going to say nice things about your opponent. 
you're going to say nice things about the leader and how the next election's about your side taking the, the hill. But, you know, write it out, have one in each pocket because you're going to forget when you get up to uh, either concede or to take the nomination. And I guess the one last thing that I'll recommend is there's a period after the polls close when, you know, no one else can vote and it takes a little while to count. Um, and if you're super extroverted, that'd be a great time to go to your war room and just let loose, hang out with your team. If you're more introverted, um, you might want to go find some quiet time at that point. You know, just have a spouse or a parent or someone just take you away. Go go for 20 minutes. Don't talk to anyone and get ready because you're, you really want to be at your best for the next part. So that in a nutshell is how I would organize a GOTV day. And um, first of all, Dave and Adam, if you have questions, I'd love to hear them. But listeners out there, if you disagree with me or if there's something that wasn't clear or, you know, some specific thing I can help you with, I'd be more than happy to. Uh, you mentioned the two speeches, the having one for success and one for failure, I guess. Uh, tell me a little bit about the the sort of um, uh, the superstitions around only having written one. I mean, you said they're largely the same because you do have to write, you do have to thank certain people. But, you know, we were talking earlier in, the, in this show about uh, Andrea Horvath's speech following what happened in Ontario. I wonder if she only had one speech. Huh. Yeah. I mean, I, I shouldn't actually pick on her because that is a tough moment. And she was being positive. And they had doubled their caucus size. You know, it was a good night if you weren't thinking about what could have been. Um, yeah, I I may not be superstitious, but I am awfully superstitious about some things. And preparing both is a good way to fight that off. The other thing that's a bit more of a ritual maybe than anything else is, at least in our party, um, the person who's the runner-up usually moves to make it unanimous. So, um, you know, it's just a nice gesture to kind of get behind the new candidate. So, um, in my case, I, you know, got the attention of the floor and I said, you know, congratulations. And I just moved to make this unanimous motion that we're all behind you and let's destroy the ballots and move on. I don't know how the NDP do it. They probably do some weird NDP stuff, but <laughs> I'm sure there's some similar thing. But the I, I think the parties, I, I, I seem to remember the parties down, the major parties down in the United States do that. Usually the, uh, uh, I think, when I, maybe he didn't, but maybe he did. Bernie Sanders guy would get up and say that, uh, or the Bernie Sanders equivalent would get up and say, you know, let's uh, let's destroy the ballot, motion to destroy the ballots and declare it unanimous that Hillary Clinton is going to be the next president of the United States. Yes, Pre President Rodman. So, yeah, that's 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 getting out the vote. That's how to do it. That's great. Well, thanks, Ryan. This these have been some really great segments, and we've been getting uh, really good feedback from from nomination candidates who are running. Uh, if you guys have any questions um, or you know about get out the vote or any topics that you have questions about for nominations we know there are a lot of nomination candidates out there and a lot of nomination races going on right now feel free to to uh to shoot us an email or send us a message and and uh we'll uh we'll address your address your questions in in uh, in a future episode as regular listeners of the pod of this podcast will know we've been holding a contest over the past uh, couple episodes uh asking you to fill out reviews on apple podcasts on itunes uh and uh, your review once you fill out review uh negative uh or positive uh you'd be you'll be entered into a a contest for some 
exquisite uh, political paraphernalia, including Thurston Clark's uh, book, uh, The Last Campaign, uh, about Robert F. Kennedy, uh, and then other uh, uh, political paraphernalia that uh, that we've been able to find. I think Adam snipped a hair, uh, some hair off of David Egan's head when we had our photo taken with him. Mm-hmm. We shared a bag of jalapeno, Miss Vicky's jalapeno chips with uh, with Rachel Notley. So we have a half eaten bag of uh, of uh, Miss Vicky's chips because we were able to grab it away from the premier before she finished it. <laughs> um, and uh, and and some other some other political paraphernalia that we were able to find. So. Thank you for to everyone who did fill out reviews. We got a few. Uh, well, we, we got a few. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, we appreciate the reviews. Um, most of them. We appreciate most of them. Oh, <laughs> we appreciate all of them, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> at least I do. Yeah. I do too. We've gone through the pool. Uh, we've each chosen one that we'd like to read out. Uh, to you. And of course, you can check these out on, on Apple Podcasts yourself. But um, why don't we start with you, Dave? Okay. Uh, so Potpourri uh, gave us a five-star review. Thank you very much, Potpourri. Uh, under, the, under the title, Capitalist Propagandists. Now, I, 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 I'm not sure if this is a compliment or, or, or an insult, uh, but I'll read it and you guys can find out. Disappointed to see Brother Dave giving this neoliberal UCP apologist Ryan Hassman in quotation marks. So Ryan Hassman, if that is your real name, a platform. Also, your submission to the pro-capitalist sponsors like the Alberta Community Foundation and the Crown Corporation government-owned bank uh, makes me wonder if you even have the revolution in your heart anymore, comrade. Well, the revolution is, is always burning strong in my heart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Even though we do, we do have semi-corporate sponsors. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, I'm going to read one from Chops McGrew. Uh, this one's a little more straightforward. Uh, the title of the review is Fantastic Listen for this out-of-province Albertan. So it's great to know that um, we've got friends of the pod outside the borders of the province. Uh, Chops McGrew says, I've been following Alberta politics since I could read a newspaper and have been incessantly talking my friend's ear o- ears off about it just for just as long. Since I've moved to Quebec, where no one wants to listen to an Albertan <laughs> talk about Alberta, <laughs> this podcast has been a blessing. Dave is a fountain of arcane political facts. Ryan is the conservative partisan I love to hate, and Adam keeps the whole thing sane. Keep up the awesome work, guys. Thank you so much, Chops McGrew. I mean, I, I think he's nailed it, to be honest. Yeah, he said everything that needed to be said, except that he didn't. Over to you, Ryan. Well, uh, the final one that we're going to read today is maybe the best. Um, I think this person speaks a lot of truth. The reviewer's name is Blurg90815, <laughs> and the headline <laughs> is Fake Conservative, all uppercase, with four red sirens. I think. I think they're talking about you, Dave. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, 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 I am a fake conservative. <laughs> no, I guess that's true. Quote, <clears throat> did you even see Ryan's Ontario Vote Compass score or hear his praise of Brian Mulroney in the May 27th episode? Man's redder than the sunburn he gets in his suburban backyard on a summer day. <laughs> End quote. Well, Blurg90815, I guess you've got a point. <laughs> but you gave us a five-star rating so yeah thank you for that i, I i'm gonna start to refer to you to ryan i, I refer to you as ryan carl marx hasman <laughs> well you wouldn't be the first but I, I, 
I know that, I know that. the audience that you bring to this podcast, Dave, I am a raging right winger, but sometimes I worry that my friends on the right don't consider me to be the most conservative person they know. So I guess this, this person has a, has a point. Great stuff. Thanks to everyone for submitting reviews. And uh, we did select a winner uh, offline, S. Tognari. Gave us a really lovely review. That's not why that person won, but uh, we did a random draw. And you are the proud owner of a really outstanding book and various sundry political artifacts. Why don't you read his review, Adam? Oh, yeah. Why not? He said it's him, right, Ryan? Well, I'm only speculating who S. Tognari is. Okay. Like, <laughs> but if it's the one I think it is, then yes, it is a him. He was chosen fairly and semi-randomly. Yeah, very randomly. So his review says, the preeminent Alberta political podcast. Happily, we got five stars for this. And it says, Ryan Hassman and Dave Cornway are two very likable hosts. So I'm already disagreeing with this review, guys. <laughs> he goes on to say, they're very well informed and they are exuberant about Alberta politics. I often listen to this podcast coupled with the federal The Boys in Short Pants podcast, which has a similar format. Former staffer friends from two sides of the political spectrum. So uh we're crushing it compared to other pods as well which is great right on awesome awesome and i, I do have to say i listen to the boys in short pants uh podcast and they are they're pretty good and they have they have good commentary about uh, politics in ottawa so do tune into their uh, their podcast as well do you think we could have a zoolander style pod off with them <laughs> we could try let's challenge them we'll do it okay we'll there you go challenge issued well, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'd like to thank our producer, Adam Rosenhardt, for helping us to put this episode together. And a huge thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. We're a member, and we stand with many other Alberta-made podcasts. The Alberta Podcast Network invites you to celebrate Edmonton's incredible cultural and artistic diversity at Make Music Edmonton on June 21st. So businesses all along 124th Street will be transformed into sidewalk stages, which you can enjoy for free between 5 p.m. and 9 p.m. The main stage show will be emceed by friend of the pod, Chris Chang-Yen Phillips of the Let's Find Out podcast, and Karen Unlin, president of the Alberta Podcast Network. The Kaylee Cardinal Trio and many other great acts will be performing there. Find out more at makemusic-edmonton.ca. Awesome. Uh, you can also send us your feedback or ask any questions you have for our next episode. Uh, you can get us on Twitter at, at DaveBerta or on the Dave Berta Facebook page, or you can email us at podcast at DaveBerta.ca. Thanks for listening. Bye.